no one possibly have anticipated what was to happen at every theater where this film played. It's really gross. I want to see if it's going to make me throw up. That is the most grotesque, nauseating, R-rated picture I've ever seen. It's probably the grossest thing I've ever seen. Oh, it's weird. Welcome back, everybody, to another fantastic episode. I am Mitch. And I am Stefan, and this is Drag Mitch to Hell, the show where I subject poor Mitch to genre movies that I love, but believe he will hate. That's right. We're back to season proper stuff here? Yeah, it's been a while since uh, (laughs) we did a movie. I think the last one was a Christmas episode, is that correct? That is correct. We did Christmas Evil, before that was the Toxic Avenger, and that has been our entire season three so far. And this is our Valentine's... Oh, you're right. Valentine's episode. It, this is kind of a good Valentine's Day pick, I think. Actually, I mean, kind of. Uh, it's you know, it well, is, it's sorry, a little erotic. It's, it's, it's a pretty dark horse Valentine's pick, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> if you're into <laughs> spousal abuse, this is the movie for you. <laughs> um, but we're not revealing the movie just yet in the episode. But you've already seen it based on the title of this episode. So really, this whole charade is kind of stupid. But uh, we're adhering to it just the same. So, uh, Mitch, uh, we have two routes we can take. We'll tackle both, but I'll allow the order to be uh, you're the deciding factor for it. So we have one, I revealed that I had a nightmare that involved you as our topic. Or alternatively, it's the question for the episode. Which one would you like to tackle first? I think let's hear the, the nightmare first, and then we can ask the question and lead into the episode proper after that. I'm okay. very curious. I mean, both are good segues because a dream is inherently weird in most of the director's movies. <laughs> uh, the one of which we're tackling are could be described as weird. Um, but uh, good segues aside. Um, all right. So we're like, think of like two carved hams along a riverside. It's me and Mitch. We're chilling. <laughs> Sun glistening. Everything is good. I'm having like a wonderful time, so I decided to take a nap. You're gonna, you're like, I'm gonna go go for a swim. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Sounds like me. Of course, man. You're going for your swim. I'm not a big swimmer. I enjoy like every once in a while, but ultimately, uh, I'm not a fish. Um, so I, I'm there having my dreamlike nap, and I wake up, and I'm like, where's my, where's my boy Mitch? Where are you? And I look into the river, and I see an alligator. Oh my god. And I'm like, Mitch, where's Mitch? And all of a sudden, my partner Anna's there. And I'm like, where's Mitch? I can't see him anymore. I don't know where he's gone. He went for a swim, and now there's a crocodile in the river. And then for some reason, because dreamlike logic makes absolutely no sense, the river was drained, and there was just a fucking carved-up bicep arm in, like, full, like, (laughs) just the arm in, in the laying on the river floor so you were a victim but, of a crocodile attack, <laughs> alligator attack i think the most important question here is was the bicep impressive yeah oh totally man it was like it was big like there's a there's a good bulge and like it nice. was oddly the shoulder was still intact so the shoulder looked good <laughs> Well, as long as my biceps look good, uh, even if the rest of my body is not there, you know, that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> that well, I've we, won we, that life. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, I like animal attack stuff, so I don't know why. I used to go into Florida, so don't go into any rivers, please. 
I will avoid the uh, the alligators. All right, so that's my dream. Um, weird, yes. Weird, yes. But you know, I, I like being described as a a carved ham. Yeah, you're definite definite carved ham. Uh, <laughs> like just to show my love for you, I woke up and I was, I was deflated. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate how devastated you were that uh, I may or may not have been eaten by a, an alligator. I w- it was a 5 a.m. wake up and I, uh, I just uh, got up and I was like, well, I'm not going back to sleep because <laughs> Mitch has been dispatched by a crocodile slash alligator. I don't actually know which it was. I feel like it was a, an alligator if I had to guess, but you know, whatever. All right, so question for the episode. Yeah, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) Um, The question for the episode is, what's the strangest encounter you've ever had at a party? Yeah, Uh, and you did give me some warning with this question, which I appreciated because I feel like I was never a big party goer. Uh, In high school, I was kind of awkward and shy and didn't really want to go outside my comfort zone and hang around with people like I didn't know. I feel like my parents were also a little bit more strict when it came to like the prospect of me consuming on you know alcohol underage. Like they weren't like the quote unquote cool parents who like let their kids have parties at the house or things like that. So like I knew if I ever got caught drinking anything that I'd get in trouble. Uh, so I didn't but, really go to parties. Well, not to cut you off, but to clarify, this it didn't have to be like a youthful <laughs> focus. Well, no, I I know. <laughs> okay, but okay. Even even in college, like uh, or university, like later on, it was like you know I would go to bars, but like I wasn't going to parties so much. So like I didn't I didn't I had to rack my brain a little bit to try and come up with like a an awkward party encounter. Uh, but I did come up with one. And uh, if I just want to give a little bit of a warning here, if you are a family member of mine uh, and you're going to be listening to this story, you might want to skip ahead about five minutes. There's, you know, going to be some the story is sexual in nature. So if you don't want to hear me talk about an experience like that, out of sheer respect, uh, I will insert a bleep here, uh, which denotes that I've now gone forward in time. And and seeing when Mitch's uh, uh, his explanation for my question has ended, and it'll be right here. Just skip ahead to that. Thirteen minutes twenty five seconds. And have at it, Mitch. Continue. All right. So this would have been probably I think mid twenties uh, when this happened. So I done a little bit of acting, as you're aware, uh, and this was the only play that I had ever done. Uh, there was a rap party for this play. Uh, so everybody in the play was there, the you know, directors, the crew, producers, basically everybody. This wasn't like some massive production, but there was a good amount of people at this party and people from their previous productions as well. A lot of people at this house. And one of the people there told me, it's like, oh, there's you know this girl who is here who I was aware of. Like I knew who she was. We weren't like good friends or anything, but it's like, she's into you. Like, so something could happen. And I was like, oh, okay. But in my mind, like, I'm not really into that person. So, like, I don't know that I want something to happen. Uh, And so many drinks later, 
I'm hearing that like this girl's looking for me now because it's like a house party. People are outside, people are upstairs, downstairs, like sort of all around. Um, and I'm like, oh god, like I really don't want to like be put in an uncomfortable situation where like I have to like reject somebody or like. So like I'm gonna pretend because it's getting late. Like I'm gonna pretend like I'm sleeping. So like I laid in this like chair and pretended like I was asleep. And I'm listening and she comes into the room and she's like, you know, looking for me and she sees me on the chair and like comes over and is like, oh, Mitchie, so sleepy and like touching me like my shoulder like stuff. And I'm just like pretending like I'm in a daze, like like I'm I'm sleeping. And clearly like this attempt was to like see if I would wake up and have some sort of interaction with me. Well, it didn't work. I continued to pretending to be asleep in that chair. So I'm like, OK, cool. So she leaves. I I'm awake again uh, and talking to my friends who are there and some more time goes by and it's time to go to sleep, but I'm going to crash at this house. Uh, so there's a room with like two people sleeping on like this, this sort of chair area. And then there's like a futon and a good buddy of mine. We became good friends through this play. Um, we're like, we're going to sleep on this futon. So him and I are on this futon, sort of back to back. And wouldn't you know it, this girl wanders in and lays next to me. And like, basically like, I don't know if she jostles me awake again. We're, we've all had several drinks at this point, but sort of like, you know, talking to me and I'm like thinking, well, now that there's a bunch of people in this room, like, and I'm like, it's bedtime. I'm like in bed, like, that's nothing's gonna happen like right but then like starts like kissing me and i'm like oh okay like <laughs> i guess that didn't deter you and me being sort of the awkward nice guy who doesn't want to like push someone away and like reject them i'm sort of like okay i guess we're kissing now but like my friend is like literally like back to back with me here <laughs> on this futon and i'm feeling so uncomfortable and she's sort of like touching me in areas you know that the areas that you would think and i'm like <laughs> like i don't want to do this but i also am definitely not doing anything in this room so i'm like giving in basically and i'm like should we just like go outside or like go to the basement like just like no i don't want to like it's too cold outside and i'm like well like i don't know what you want to do and she's like oh i want you to come to my place tomorrow and i'm like no and i made up a lie about having to go out of town the next day so i'm uncomfortable and like it's sort of things sort of fizzle out and then like i'm pretending to be asleep again and she leaves me alone but she's still laying next to me like sleeping on this bed and then over the course of the next i would say two to three hours anytime i would like turn over like in my sleep or trying to get comfortable i would be like touched and like trying to like kiss me again i'm just like jesus christ like, i just want to go to bed my friend is laying next to me here who can probably hear everything that's going on and being said in between us and like me rolling over isn't an invitation for you to like start touching me and doing things again like i know i'm just rolling over to get comfortable i don't i don't want this you just described an assault <laughs> you just i mean yeah. <laughs> Kind of was. I, and I don't want to put it, you know, like in those terms necessarily. I, I 
certainly could have done more to just like firmly be like, no, I'm not interested, but I was trying to be nice. And, you know, and I was flattered too, that someone was interested in me, but like, I really wasn't all that into it. And especially in a room full of people like, nah. so like that was, how I ended up sleeping and then I think I woke up early and like took off because I didn't want to stick around for any more potential awkwardness or like the sober realization of like how that night just went being in the same room as this person. Uh, so then I left and that was the end of that. But uh, I later was recounting the story to a friend of mine who also knows this person. And uh, he was like, you know, it's funny. I had that exact same experience <laughs> with that person, <laughs> just at a different party. Uh, so that, I think, was my most awkward uh, party encounter that, that I could recall. It, it's nothing like this movie uh, in terms of the awkward party encounter that I think you're referring to when you <laughs> ask this question. Um, but that, that's what I got. So it, again, not overly explicit. I didn't, you know, nothing yeah. crazy, but uh, just an uncomfortable position for, for me to be in to, to have that happen. And for the record, very nice person and i know that she felt bad uh afterwards uh communicated this to somebody else being a little bit embarrassed about what happened um but uh yeah that's that that was that (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's kind of amazing uh I, I, I have nothing to, to top that. Well, were you a big partier? Oh, I mean, yeah. you've told me some stories about uh, you know, things <laughs> that happened. I forget what movie we were talking about with the guys that you randomly encountered that you ended up hanging out with or weird stuff happening. But I mean, so you uh, you went to a lot of parties. Like, you've always been a big partier? Or? I went to a ton of shows, and I'm into, like, more independent bands. So there were typically, like, house shows and things like that. And we drink a lot. Uh, I definitely had uh, my, my fair share of partying through my, my 20s and early, early 30s, maybe a little bit, but not so much. Um, but I, I've been to, we've done ridiculous stuff. Uh, <laughs> but like I don't have I, I've, I've never had like weird interactions I feel yeah. like we would have been the weird interaction for people typically do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah like I, I don't have a great story Anna had one for us my partner she was like uh, it was like early uh, like maybe second year university and it was like the first off campus uh, apartment and it te- technically wasn't like a weird interaction but uh, they had like a rando roommate. It was like uh, I think three friends and this one random person, and they're getting ready to go out. And um, all of a sudden, they, this this random person ran into the room, hand clutched with like blood pouring down, being like, "I stabbed myself because they were trying to like cut into an avocado, but did it like oh, so no. dumbly and like <laughs> must have hit like the core." And then it went through the person's hand, and it was a serrated knife. So when they pulled it out, it was just like absolutely wrecked so they had to call like uh an ambulance and the cops came and because somebody else was like so uncomfortable with the situation they started cleaning up the blood and the cops were like why are you cleaning that up and it turned into like a momentary like did one of these people stab this other person uh from the cops perspective obviously right. that wasn't the case it was just like some just some avocado dumbass. <laughs> yeah. which i think is pretty common 
Ah, people right. with avocado hand, you know, cutting their hands with, right. uh, while trying to cut an avocado. Take the knife, hit hit the hit it so the you get the core, and then just run it around, and you're you're golden. You don't have to. You don't hurt yourself. A plus. Well, stuff. here's what I think may be happening: mm. is once you've split the avocado open and removed the like pit or whatever, yeah, um, perhaps. People, you know, with their avocado toast, they want those perfect slices. So, you know, holding the avocado in their hand, like palming it, and then slicing with the knife. Do you do this? Avocado. I don't do that, but I can see how somebody would do that. If you Um, do that, uh, listener. I have never cut my hand uh, cutting an avocado. You just put on your cutting board. You can you can like crack the the rind a little bit, so it's almost like flat. And then you just like on a cutting board, you just cut across, and you're good to go. Yeah. Man, I'm a terrible cook, and I can do this shit. I'm like an embarrassment. You look at me <laughs> in the kitchen, and you're like, "Get this idiot out of here. He doesn't belong anywhere close to the kitchen." Uh, and I can I can handle an avocado. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I have there's there's no excuse for it. Take care of yourself. Out That's there. right. Just be avocado careful, lovers. Folks. <laughs> yeah uh I, otherwise like i don't have like a good story i've been to like weird parties like actually i don't even want to get into it but like i've, I've, I've done weird stuff but i haven't had like a weird interaction yeah. the one that came to mind was we used to have this guy named maxwell who we'd, we'd prank call like mercilessly like, it was <laughs> full-on harassment and like i apologize to maxwell if he is somehow coincidentally a listener of this podcast but his phone number was this is when we we're in ottawa uh it was 613 actually i probably shouldn't say i was gonna say maybe we should. <laughs> not that probably anyway, listening to this is gonna start prank calling maxwell but uh you know maybe we don't put his phone number <laughs> all right so but his phone number was the the prefit the ottawa area code 613 and then it was a number repeated over and over and over again and that was his phone number okay and people would call him and read him like the contents of like a magic card <laughs> like just like random shit and he was like furious and one time we were at a show uh, i can't remember where it was we we're seeing i remember what band we were seeing we we're seeing black ships from montreal um and my buddy uh took my phone he's like i'm gonna call maxwell and i said fine sure uh, he didn't do what's the uh, star six seven is where it blocks your number, right? I believe so. He didn't do star six seven, so he called Maxwell and he had my phone number afterwards. So I don't know <laughs> what he was saying to him, but he called me and he was like, irate. He was like, what if I called your mother? And, and, and incessantly bothered her all the time. And I was like, Maxwell, I wouldn't like that very much. And it was just like so angry. And I was just like apologizing to him. I'm like, I'm not even the person who called you. They just used my phone. <laughs> right. I apologize. And eventually he softened. But uh, yeah, I, that might have been one of the last Poor times Maxwell. we called Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, guys, come on. He's a human being. There's been like other times that have been weird. Like I'm not a I'm not a marijuana fan. I'm not a weed guy. I, I think you know this. Um, and but like if if people are partaking, sometimes like out of like yeah, I'll I'll be like the I'll join you guys so you're not like you don't have like one guy who's not partaking and you give in to the peer pressure. It's it's less peer pressure and like I 
I maybe it's more it's beyond peer pressure because I'm like I don't want to ruin their trips by being like the sober guy who would be perceivably sure. judging them. I think it's like my <laughs> internal yeah. I, because like my brain is a fucking mess, man. It's like I don't want to make people feel bad, so I'm gonna make myself feel way worse all the time. Um, so I I smoked weed with uh, this guy uh, who I'd met for the first time. And it, I've never been this high in my entire life. And we're all, we decided to all paint and contribute to a painting. Uh, so, <laughs> Sounds like something a bunch of hot people would do. Yeah, totally. Uh, but like it was two friends who I knew well. And then this other guy uh, who is now a good friend. But we were all just like looking. And I feel like it, what made me feel okay is that I think everybody was as high as me. And we're just like at like in grab like in a hyperbaric chamber, gravity is like tenfold its natural state <laughs> and bearing down upon us, and our our minds are just like absolute blank gush, like just pure mush. And uh, it was one of the most awkward moments of my life because, like, I, I I like to be an amicable social person, and like I mean this person for the first time, and I'm like. I don't know what to say and I'm just like my mind is spiraling into like what do I do in the situation how do I exit like it's like the matrix I want to like pick up the phone and be like exit (laughs) and I just like zap out of there or something but like man it was uncomfortable um I don't have like otherwise very good you have the best story is what I'm saying okay yeah (laughs) well I I still appreciated your uh, your stories as well I'll try to think for next episode if I have, like, a, a much better one. But, like, off the top of my head, I don't think that uh, anything will reach the heights of you being assaulted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Should we get into this episode? Let's get into it. All right, good. Uh, for today's episode, we are disassociating from ourselves with 1997's Lost Highway. We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I like to remember things my own way. How I remembered them. Not necessarily the way they happen. Tell him you won't tailgate. Hammer! If I had to stop something, you would have hit me! Please. Please, Dad, tell me what happened to me. Someone broke in and taped us while we slept. All right, so we're obviously going back to the David Lynch well here. People remember in our very first season, uh, high COVID times, we did Wild at Heart. And you didn't enjoy yourself, but you didn't hate it, I think, is, is where you landed on that one, correct? Yeah, it wasn't uh, a movie that I particularly enjoyed, but it wasn't like 
I wasn't ripping my face off watching it. I, I know that you famously, you don't like Blue Velvet, right? Correct. And earlier today, you reminded me that the only movie you've enjoyed of David Lynch's so far that you've seen is Elephant Man. So I decided yes. that it would be good to expand the, the oeuvre and see if there is potentially uh, another movie that you don't like in there. <laughs> and to be honest, when I picked this, so I think that in my mind, and uh, Paul, who is composing the music for our movie, I was talking to him, uh, and I was like, he was like, what, do, what is your projections for Mitch liking or, or disliking this movie? And I said, I think I liked the first 45 minutes, and then after that, hate his life. <laughs> Um, because not to like get ahead of the plot itself, but the movie kind of resets almost midway through and becomes very odd. And I think that that is ultimately like where you will land. So that's largely why I picked it. I don't have like a good history with it, so I'm not even going to bother like indulging that. Like I watched a bunch of his movies when I was in my like either like late teens, early 20s, as most people do. So I don't have like some like, I was watching it in the basement of like Mike's house and you know, like I don't have like some like illustrious past with this movie. So we're going to we're going to skip that. And uh Okay. Why don't we get into General thoughts and if it dragged you to hell, because I'm very, very curious. Sure. Uh, so I don't have any history with this movie either, other than being aware of its existence, but generally not being a David Lynch guy. I wasn't all that interested in checking it out. Um, and as far as my general thoughts go, uh, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head with uh, your thoughts just a moment ago with... The first 45 minutes, uh, 45, 50 minutes more into, uh, I wouldn't say I loved them, um, but definitely was like with it, you know, watching it being like, okay, where are we going? Uh, and then it does take a turn and I'm like, okay, what, what are we doing now? Uh, and then it just sort of continues on and gets a little bit weirder uh, and ultimately ends. And I think that <laughs> I sort of have an idea that of like what what it's actually about or like what these two sort of storylines mean. Um, but I could be wrong. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's not a movie. It's kind of like Wild at Heart for me where not a movie that I think is like god awful, but certainly not something that I liked. And I wouldn't recommend watching it if you're at all like me. <laughs> I would not recommend watching it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man, I love this movie. And, and to be honest, like I think that your reading of it is probably correct. Because I, I think that there's like a very like clear... It, like A lot of Dave Lynch movies have, like I feel like, multiple readings. And I feel like this one has... I think there's like one primary reading of this movie and then there's like obviously different ways that it could be interpreted throughout. But uh, in terms of like what it all means, man, I think there's like, I think there's like a, a good take on this and it's like pretty so recognizable. I, I hope that's the case. And, but even after like me thinking, okay, I think this is what was going on and then reading, doing some stuff online and seeing other people's comments and seeing sort of Lynch's, uh, comments about it being like well maybe I'm not 100% with it or maybe these other people are reading too much into it I don't know that 
I, I struggle with films, as you know, and anybody listening to this knows, that are a little bit more abstract in their sort of themes or their ideas or how they present the narrative. Um, but what I also struggle with is people who really like those films uh, and then and not really being able to provide an explanation. And not saying that that's you. I'm very curious to hear what your thoughts are. But reading through Letterboxd, it's all four, four and a half, five star reviews. Half of them are, I don't get it, but I love it. It's amazing. And I'm like, how can you watch a movie and be like, I don't really understand what I just watched, but like five stars. That's where I get thrown off because I feel like like people just like love this aesthetic or this vibe of movie versus like story or narrative or anything like that. And maybe that's just Lynch and I can't like my brain doesn't watch things that way. So I can't really comprehend how they're enjoying it. But just like the idea of like, I don't get it, but I fucking love this. It's just so strange to me. So it's funny. We were just talking. My partner and I were just talking about we watched The American Friend again recently. And I was like, man, we should program this for the podcast because it's Vim Vendors. And I don't think Mitch would like it uh, because it is like such a it is a vibe movie. Like there are characters in it, but ultimately they're given way to like the atmosphere of the film a little bit. And I was like, I don't think Mitch would like this very much. Like, not because, like, I think you're wrong or, like, it's just, like, I don't think it would be your thing. And there's nothing wrong right. with that. We're all sure. individuals and, you know. Um, I, I do think that, like, when we talked about Wild at Heart, it, it was Yovana who said that I think David Lynch cultivates the sense of weird quite well it, or, or curates the sense of weird so well in the sense that, like, regardless of whether or not you understand it, he does present odd things in a very compelling way so i'd be the counterpoint to you saying that like i can understand not understanding the movie but still having a great time i guess but i think the issue would be for me if anybody who's like yeah lynch and they're like jacked up and they're like oh my god i'm so stoked on another date like that would be like would be my foil (laughs) where like i can't stand you like don't no pedestals please like, I'm a huge Cronenberg fan, and even I could acknowledge that Crimes of the Future is a dog shit movie. Like, like we can be real here. We can, we can like, yeah. really, really like a director, but ultimately they're not God, and they can make something that's really bad. But if you do like something and you can't, and you don't understand it, because, like, I'm a pretty thick person myself. Like, sometimes, like, I'm like, I, it takes me a while to, like, unpack why I like something. I can get why somebody would like it. So I'll be the counterpoint here, baby. All right. Well, I'm glad to have you as the uh, counterpoint. Yeah. Um, all right. Should we get to the synopsis and see, I guess, what works and doesn't work for you? Sure. All right. Let's rock and roll. All right. So uh, we're introduced to a gloomily lit uh, Fred Madison, who's played by Bill Pullman. And at this point, he's uh, fresh off playing a president where he touted such lines as, we're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day? The 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day the world declared. In one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Obviously, we're talking about Independence Day. This came out uh, a year after that. Uh, which is kind of funny to think of, like Bill Pullman, probably at like what I would consider to be like the height of of the Pullmanness. 
Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, Lost Highway, baby, let's go. And I don't know where if his career <laughs> continued after that, <laughs> and, and to the degree of Independence Day. But uh, I, man, speaking of Independence, I can't even talk. Speaking of Independence Day, I think the most outlandish thing about that movie is that somebody in their forties could be the U.S. president. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good point. Yeah, oh, you got to be at least like seventy plus. Yeah, eighty plus rock yeah. and roll. Not uh, able to you know formulate a coherent sentence. Yeah. Oh man. Not like I mean like right now I can barely uh formulate a complete sentence. So. <laughs> I'm not even near 80 yet. Can't wait for that moment to hit. Uh anyways, uh so we uh, are back to Bull our uh, Bull Pullman. Pullman. As Fred Madison as he drags on a cigarette and receives a buzz from the front door's intercom telling him Dick Laurent is dead. It's going to become very, very important. So I'd like to, uh, dear listener, if you haven't watched this movie, please keep that in the back of your mind. Dick Laurent is dead. Uh, he rushes to the window and finds no trace of the person who delivered this cryptic information, but tires squeal off and sirens blare in the distance. I want to stop right here for just a quick second. I know we've already like gone on for 33 minutes on absolute dog shit that didn't pertain to this movie whatsoever. <laughs> um, but, so... Um, I used to live uh, in in Toronto when I was in Toronto. Our first uh, Toronto apartment was a place on Palmerston, and it was like a, a squat old brownstone with like absolute, you know, dog rat fucked wiring that like I should have burned alive probably while living there. Like, use a hair dryer would like flip a, a fuse. But anyways, uh, one time we received a, it was like an old school intercom system. And for whatever reason, the intercom for our apartment wasn't like situated by our door, but was like near our bed. And we had like a, a very, very like scalable tree adjacent to our window. And one time our buzzer rang and it was just like breathing in like it like indiscernible like <laughs> through the intercom. And then uh, later on, Anna woke up and thought she saw somebody in the tree outside of our window. That's some creepy shit. Some creepy shit. Um, I only bring that up because, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but David Lynch claims that somebody did ring his intercom and said, Dick Laurent is dead, which, you know, could have very well happened, and he himself rushed to the window and saw nobody was there. But, like, I I find this compelling because, like, we'll get to, like, the camcorder business in this movie very, very quickly, but, like, I find, like, voyeurism, like, being watched... Uh, I know that's like a dumb thing to say, but it's like very, very creepy and compelling to me. And like, I'm just down, man. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's something terrifying about not knowing that somebody else is watching you and like being provided evidence of that. Like, here's a videotape of me filming your house and like you are being inside your house. Um, Absolutely. horrifying i think for anybody so it's definitely compelling it, yeah. it reminded me of uh what cachet cachet yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um <sighs> man i love anarchy I, I really want to watch white ribbon again but we should talk about lost highway i guess yes yeah. yeah, okay cool <laughs> uh this is gonna be a three hour long episode um okay so uh as mitch referenced uh uh fred is soon gonna receive a vhs so we're uh introduced next to his wife uh, Renee is played by Patricia Arquette, and 
as she comes in, uh, oh wait, no, sorry, that we're we're jumping ahead. The the, the their first interaction is uh, Fred asking her if she's going to come to his his gig tonight. So uh, Fred's a musician. We're going to talk about his instrument very very soon. Um, and uh, she quick she basically says no. I'm going to stay home and read. Uh, and then you know Fred goes off to the club. Um, I would like to ask you based on this interaction. How would you describe Fred's uh, state of mind and the relationship between him and Renee? Uh, it strikes me as like a little bit cold, maybe resentful uh, towards her. But I feel like one of the problems I have with Lynch and in this movie in particular is I don't feel like the characters behave in a way that resembles reality, which makes it difficult for me to be invested in those characters and also like understand their motivations. Like the line readings, the giant pauses in between like dialogue and things like that, just, it's just odd. So I would say that, I mean, it comes across as like being a little bit distant. Uh, clearly they're not super close or, or loving. Uh, yes yeah. opening scene it's clear that he doesn't like fred does not trust trust uh renee at all i think and he's like yeah. oh you want to come to the club and like you gotta you gotta be there because otherwise like what are you going to be doing and right. we'll, we'll get to more of that in a, in a in a second but we we then find fred who is playing uh he's dripping in in sex saxophone is, is what i'll say <laughs> Like man, he he's he's glistening, he's he's slicked up, and he's, he's just really like, giving it. He's really giving it. Um, and I meant, say what you will, this scene fucking rips. Fucking, I don't even like jazz, man, at all. Nothing interests me about jazz. I know that's kind of mean to say. It's a full <laughs> genre of music, but I haven't had like my like my jazz moment personally yet. And I'm not shitting on the genre at all, but. I want to say that Bill Pullman playing sax here is is the superior saxophone scenes in film. Like, fuck the Lost Boys, glistening beef boy playing saxophone. Fuck that. It's all about Bill Pullman slicked up. His his shirt is, like, clinging to his body from sweat, and he looks, like, fucking good, man, you know? <laughs> He looks like a carved ham. Looks like a carved uh, ham. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I thought this scene was kind of silly. Oh. <laughs> I felt like I'm like, I don't believe that you're actually even playing this instrument. Uh, I just felt like he looked ridiculous. <laughs> I also it didn't even sound good to me. I'm like, I've heard people play this accent before. It just sounds like he's screeching this motherfucker. Like, uh, I mean, like, <laughs> this might be the furthest we've ever been from one another. <laughs> <laughs> on a scene where I'm like man this is so cool and you're like fuck no man just not, not playing that it. shit not feeling it not for me it's gonna be a no dog for Mitch um, right. yeah it's a shame I really like this scene uh, anyways 
Um, after his set uh, of squealing the saxophone or murdering it, whatever <laughs> you'd like to say, he he calls uh, Renee back at home, obviously because he's like concerned of her having like a, an extramarital affair of some kind. He's being very much a jealous type. And the phone just rings and rings and rings. And we hang on Fred's face. And to me, it's like a very like he's he's drenched in red light, I believe. And it's a very, very like compelling long take of him. Uh waiting for her to pick up the phone and she never does and it, to me this is like the great stuff this is like very very important for what i think the movie is like largely about um but anyways he does come home afterwards and he stalks through the home and when he gets to the bedroom you're like half expecting something horrifying for fred to to be there but ultimately it's just his wife uh, having fallen asleep and that her um, saying that she would stay home to read is likely the truth of, of what actually happened. Um, but unfortunately, the next morning, Renee comes in carrying a VHS that's arrived on their doorstep. Uh, Fred pops into the VCR and we find uh, the creepy POV that Mitch had mentioned earlier of their the front of their home. Uh, and it's just kind of like a static shot of, you know, the, the front facade uh, before it cuts to static. And uh, it's it's an incredibly creepy scene, and Patricia Arquette's Renee just says, uh, "This is paraphrasing, but it, like maybe it's one of those realtor videos." <laughs> yeah. Which I know sounds dumb, but I think in the context of the relationship, I think she knows that Fred's on edge. And when I explain kind of like what I think, how I feel this movie is, uh, she's just trying to quell any kind of like negative reaction from fred because he's like on the brink right now so she's saying yeah. something that might be perceived as stupid but ultimately makes sense for her character in the moment i think okay um, i think yeah. that's fair yeah i think that like uh she almost reminds me of um like nancy allen and blowout where i originally watched that movie and i was like man i hate this performance and the more i watched it the more like i thought that nancy allen's probably the best part of that movie aside from like john lithgow because he's horrifying in it but Oh, blow it tangent over. Sound good? <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, we then find ourselves in one of Fred's dreams uh, where he's back at the club, but from the vantage of his stage, it's not the same kind of like vantage that he had that night. Instead, he finds Renee with another man. Uh, this is Andy, but don't worry, we'll meet him soon. Um, so we're going to hang on, hang off, uh, hold off from naming the actor behind him, but he's going to become very, very important very, very soon. Uh, and this is basically confirming the fact that Fred is very insecure in their relationship, is worried that she's uh, going to be with another man or, or is already with another man. Um, we then cut to Fred and Renee uh, who copulate, but it's the kind of sex where he's offered a consoling pat on the back at the end. And her whispering, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Which is, again, like, he, he just is, like, he's not the man that he wants to be. Yeah. That's what that girl was saying to me in the futon. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> wildly different context. Yeah. Because, again, <laughs> you were abused. <laughs> Oh man, what a this episode took a very dark turn yeah. through the story. <laughs> um, man, I man, this, this I have to say, uh, I I love VHS video feeds because the quality is so dog shit that like it's it's hard to almost discern 
what's going on at times. So it allows your mind to really fill in a lot of gaps that you don't get with like 4K, 8K video right. feeds. You know what I mean? That like there's the the intercom, we have the VHS stuff. It's all like weird feelings of like feeling like you're being watched, but ultimately the the quality or like all of the the details regarding that aren't there. Like you don't know who left the intercom message. The video feed is like trash and you're not entirely sure where like who left it. Like there's like so much compelling stuff in here. Um, yeah. And then we get a lot of like interesting uh, dream visuals that kind of like compound, compound on one another. So we have like, uh, uh, we have Fred and Renee who copulate. Uh, then afterwards, Fred uh, conveys to Renee that he had a dream where someone was attacking someone that looked exactly like her. Uh, it looked like you, but wasn't you is the line that he offers. It's then that Fred, uh, he kind of like turns away because he's like, uh, he's been giving the pity pat and, and told it's okay. So he kind of like shrinks away and then looks back and all of a sudden it's Renee, but her face is replaced by a pale old man's face. <laughs> who we, yeah. we will see. And like, I know that could be like a lame I know, I know the face is just like comped on. It doesn't look particularly good, but like it is like so. To me, it's chilling for multiple reasons. Well, the face is just so creepy. The face is haunting. <laughs> the multiple appearances of that face throughout the film are all creepy and weird. The 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 phone call after our switch is probably the most chilling for me. I think the party scene is also very chilling. Yeah, but. Uh, Anyways, we'll, we're going to get to that party in like one hot second, so let's let's save that discussion. Um, uh, we get yet another VHS that arrives at the doorstep, and upon review, it starts out similarly from the other. It's their home, but then it becomes something far more sinister. The POV enters the home, uh, crests the stairs, and then it enters their, their bedroom where we find Fred and Renee sleeping. Uh, then static, uh, it cuts out. Creeped out, they call the police, uh, but they are of little help. But the two detectives will be, uh, you know, uh, repeat, uh, will repeat their entry through the, the film and appear multiple times. So keep them in your mind. Uh, they do, however, spawn a little interesting convo that I think sums up the movie quite well. And that is uh, Detective Ed says, do you want a video camera? And Renee says, no, Fred hates them. Fred says, I like to remember things my own way. Detective Ed says, what do you mean by that? And then Fred offers how I remember them, not necessarily the way they happened. That is the movie. Yeah, I'm with you. In an attempt to regain some normalcy uh, in their life, they head out to a party hosted by their friend Andy, played by Michael Massey. I believe that's the correct pronunciation of his last name. And for me, entirely memorable uh, from the film Seven as the quote-unquote massage parlor uh attendant he's like the guy behind the glass who's like "Ah, yeah he's also in x-files and millennium uh two shows that i quite enjoy but uh, anyways uh fred watches andy and renee together uh assessing whether or not they're kind of they're they're flirting a little bit but he's deciding whether or not it's hinting at something deeper uh trying to maybe like uh give some credence to his dreams that he's been uh having he's however interrupted by an odd fellow Mitch, first, I would like you to describe this odd fellow. Uh, the odd fellow has a particularly ghoulish face, uh, <laughs> wrinkly and in white face. I guess you could describe <laughs> it, like just like a white 
painted on his face, right? Yeah, he's got like a matte, a matte, uh, matte makeup uh, put on him. Sure. I mean, uh, <laughs> you're like, oh, fuck, I don't care. <laughs> just yeah. I mean, he's got yeah. white painted he's on pa- his face. He's powdered. He's powdered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's a creepy looking dude, wrinkly and weird. He has like a, um, uh, it's almost like a dark purple mauve lipstick on too, yeah. which like really works. And his eyebrows are just like so stark and severe. Um, and it, one of the creepiest faces in the world. Mitch, I told you we we're going to do some line readings uh, and you were annoyed. <laughs> uh, no, I thought it was wonderful. Uh, that is a deflated voice that <laughs> sees how the next five minutes are gonna, probably going to go for him. So uh, you're going to be reading for Fred and I'm going to be reading for Mystery Man. Cool. <laughs> Okay. Should I pull up a script or something? Wait, sorry. I was going to send it in chat, but it removes all formatting. So ignore that. Um, I'm going to be sending you... I'm going to cut all this out so we can, you know, the audiences won't be subjected to this absolute (laughs) dog shit conversation. All right. Did you get it? I got it. Are you acclimated? I'm looking at it right now. All right. Amazing. All right. Start scene. We've met before, haven't we? I don't think so. Where was it you think we met? At your house. Don't you remember? No. No, I don't. Are you sure? Of course. As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. What do you mean? You're where right now? At your house. That's fucking crazy, man. Call me. Dial your number. Go ahead. Beep, boop, 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 boop. (laughs) Dialing of the phone. (laughs) I told you I was here. How'd you do that? Ask me. How did you get inside my house? You invited me. It's not my custom to go where I'm not wanted. Who are you? Give me back my phone. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And that is the scene. <laughs> it is fucking... All right, man. You have to agree. Absolutely chilling, haunting moment. In it's a very life. effective moment. I don't think... Uh, I don't think I did it justice. You were great. Uh, oh, come but, on. Uh, I was terrible. <laughs> the difference is you could act, and I Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that we... Uh, either of us were doing <laughs> the script uh, any help here. Um, but the fact that it's creepy weirdo Robert Blake uh, yeah. as the mystery man and Bill Pullman, yeah, it, uh, it's definitely an effectively creepy scene. Uh, All right, I was so, a fan. Well, uh, let's spend like a decent amount of time here uh, because we don't have too much on the rest of the movie. <laughs> um, l- let's start with like, what do you know about Robert Blake? And then I'll add anything if I have anything. Uh, well, I'm aware that he was... Uh, trial uh, basically accused of murdering his wife is that was it his, it was his wife yeah it was right? his wife yeah they were married um, and a couple of people uh, testified at his trial that he tried to hire them to kill her uh, I think he was ultimately acquitted uh, there was he was not convicted but he was found guilty in a civil court yes of wrongful death of his wife in order to pay millions of dollars filed for bankruptcy eventually started a youtube channel uh 
<laughs> so for anybody who's down and out, YouTube is always an option. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, he is a, a haunting upbringing because so I, I think the burden of proof my partner was telling me is like much lower uh, in, a, in a civil trial. So it's easier to to get some kind of justice through a, a, a civil suit. But um, in order to, like, establish his character, he basically, like, told a very haunting story of, like, he grew up, like, dirt poor, and his father basically, like, pimped him out to, like, like go, we're going to go do, like, music in, like, the park, and then, like, tried to, like, push him to do, like, acting, and, like, basically any, like, way that was, like, not cool to just, like, make money for the family, um, and he eventually started acting on, I think it was, like, he's in The Little Rascals, I believe, and he just, like, did some, like, syndicated acting work that, you know, pays regularly and well, and ultimately, uh, became known as kind of, like, one of those, um, I want to say almost like, um, oh, God, uh, Mickey, Mickey Rourke, like, a like a, a, a negative es- uh, presence on set who is like okay. typically drunk or whatever and, and very quick to offer, you know, vitriolic outbursts if, you know, the the interaction went the wrong way. Just like not a great person you'd want to have on set. Um, and eventually they, much like Fred, would frequent jazz clubs and would just like bang people regularly as he as he kind of like went from club to club. And one of those individuals would conceive a child uh and then begrudgingly he married this person which is the wife in question and the interaction uh or i guess like the description of events for his wife's murder is is like he he for sure i was sorry i don't want to say he for sure did it because like i don't want to open us uh up to any kind of like liabilities (laughs) but like he likely murdered his wife or had Right, sorry, had somebody murder his wife, which you're just as culpable in the situation as the murderer because, you know, you're a dog shit person. Um, but uh, he, they were at a restaurant and they're going back to their car and he's like, oh no, I forgot my gun because this guy has like a ton of guns and loves guns because America. And he goes, sure. Uh, yeah, sure, of course. He goes back <laughs> to the restaurant and actually does go and get a gun. And then when he comes back, his wife has already been shot. And that's the interaction for his wife's murder, like or the the sequence of events for his wife's murder. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Very very haunting person. Uh, Didn't uh, was I reading the uh, article correct? Did Tarantino dedicate Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to Robert Blake? I don't know. I hate that movie, man. I gotta be honest. I I, I don't like. You're allowed to like it, you know respect but like Tarantino's novel Once Upon a Time in Hollywood based on his film of the same name is dedicated to Blake I don't know interesting (laughs) yeah that's not that's not how uh I don't know I he all right so some random person just shoots his wife after he just like oops I forgot my gun in the restaurant I mean pretty convenient especially after you've talked to multiple people about having them kill your wife for you and i Uh, I feel sorry i not to cut you off i feel like the 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 court dismissed a lot of the people who were coming forward as like oh he tried to hire us because they were like they use drugs which is like so what they can use drugs and still have been asked to murder somebody like yeah it it was it it does not discredit like limited uh, reading i did it was like their criminal past or like mental health was called into question in the trial yeah they're murderers so like, like 
they're yeah, you don't killers. go to like the you know the guy who works nine to five just like well-adjusted normal life to be like hey man would you mind killing my wife <laughs> yeah i think how people like establish character for like legal proceedings is like kind of haunting a little bit yeah um all right so this is our or he's referred to as the mystery man by the way robert, yes. robert, robert blake's character um fred reasonably befuddled by the interaction asks andy who is uh who this mystery man is andy answers he's a friend of dick laurent and as we mentioned earlier uh dick laurent is dead is the intercom message uh fred continues and repeats this piece of information and uh andy's like you don't know dick laurent and then becomes like visibly upset uh at the idea that dick laurent is dead um so there's clearly something going on here uh something going on with dick laurent some dick laurent business uh things get stranger because uh the next day a vhs tape shows up showing fred glowering over renee's dismembered body uh for me this is all right this is like a truly haunting visual here because I, i think the practical effects here benefit from being shown through like vhs shitty grain and like there's like the crt like individual like dots illuminating the image and there's like a lot of actual detail that's lost but it looks gross the face is that what we're referring to no sorry renee's uh dismembered body oh why am i thinking that it was like her face was all fucked up i mean her face is fucked up too i think everything is fucked up she's like she's a torso on the ground and then, like, there's limbs on the bed. Okay. So I will admit to you that I had I watched this in two sittings. All right. I started it. And it was like... <laughs> then I finished it. 10 o'clock. And I was not tired when I started the film. But, like, 40 minutes or, like, half an hour in, my eyes were closing. Um, so I, this, this could have been a moment where I, my eyes were closed. Um, but I never like fell asleep. Okay. And then like, I sort of got a second wind. I was like, okay, I'm with it. I won't continue to watch and watch and watch. And then with probably like 40 minutes left, I was like, you know what? I don't know that I'm going to get through this all tonight. Like Mm. I'm, I need to go to bed. But then when I went to bed, I couldn't fall asleep anyway. I was no longer tired. So, like, an hour later, I came back downstairs and finished the movie. Uh, so it was a very weird viewing experience. But there definitely were probably a couple moments in the first 30 minutes where my eyes were just sort of closing a little bit and then opening. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of good in a sense because I, I think that, like, all of the details for this movie are going to be, like, upfront. And then I already told you that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut a, a lot out of, like, uh, the second half story just to, like... It's 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 interesting and there's like a lot of stuff, but ultimately it isn't impactful for like the overall arc of the story. Um, so don't worry about it, man. But uh, the VHS footage is definitely a dismembered body. <laughs> okay, so, I, I've just pulled it up here, and uh, you are right. It's creepy. It's it doesn't look yeah. It, I I find it a very unsettling image, as it should be. Uh, a I think this body part woke me up mm. uh, when he starts screaming. And then he gets punched in the face. Yeah. Um, so at this point, uh, Fred, I think this movie does like a good thing, which is like it very like quickly passes through time with like very 
just the basic building blocks of informa- information. And uh, we see Fred, who's now incarcerated. Uh, Henry Rollins is one of the prison guards, which is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Continuing his role of uh, bodyguards or guards. Uh, obviously, him and Heat is pretty funny. Um, but anyways, uh, but during his time spent in solitary awaiting his presumable death sentence, he begins to suffer from headaches, uh, which accompany unsettling visions of a solitary beach house that's burning, but in reverse. So essentially like in flames to a perfectly standing, uh, beach house. Um, and I I find that to be a very striking visual and it will become important later on. Um, eventually he's, uh, given something from the, uh, the in-house doctors at the, the prison. Uh, but one evening, uh, during a particularly painful row, uh, with a headache, he transmogrifies into an entirely new person. The following day... <laughs> Go ahead, make that sound again. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> The following day, the prison guards, uh, one of which is Henry Rollins, as I said, uh, oh no, I just hit the space bar. All my notes are elsewhere. All right, so here we go. Uh, one of, <laughs> uh, so they discover somebody entirely new uh, in the prison cell, and this is Pete Dayton. Uh, I did not look up the actor who plays him, and I feel like an idiot right now. Do you know? Balthazar Getty. Thank you. Thank you. A name that like you can't forget, which calls into question <laughs> yeah. my ability to be a podcaster, person, individual who watches movies, all of these three things, you know? Yeah. It's, it, it's a name that I've known for a long time. I feel like back when I used to watch TMZ, I would see like, we got Balthazar Getty at this place. I'd be like, who is this guy? What does he do? And now, like, I've seen him in a couple movies. I'm like, oh, I guess, like, he acts in things. I don't know if he can, if he still does. Yeah. Uh, or what he what he's up to these days. But, uh, yeah. I always think he is. his name almost reminds me of uh, Gaius Baltar from Battlestar Galactica, the, the reboot series. <laughs> so that's all I've got for you right now. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, Pete is ultimately released uh, to his parents from prison. Uh, Bill and Candace played respectfully by Gary Busey and Lucy Butler. Um, our two original detectives are on his tail, however, uh, looking into whatever the hell has happened. Uh, Pete returns to work at his mechanic gig when a certain mob-like energy Mr. Eddie arrives. Uh, he's played by Robert, uh, is it Loja? Robert Loja. Loja, thank you. I was going to ask you, I was like... <laughs> It's a name that I've like heard a billion times and I forget how to pronounce it. It's like Cillian or Killian Murphy. I I know the correct pronunciation, but I also don't know at all. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, Mitch, would you explain what happens during this sequence? Uh, now now I'm worried about this. Uh, so he, do you want me to, if... if I feel like I've I've thrown you to the wolves now, knowing that you've you've uh, had a hard time with watching this movie. Well, I definitely watch it, but I'm trying to remember specifically the first interaction that he has with Mister. So, Eddie. all right, I'll I'll get you started. How about that? Um, he he kind of like f- not forcefully, but like you know pressures him into going for a ride to like test his vehicle. Right, because Pete is a mechanic. Yes. Of some sort. And Mr. Eddie is 
Or, yeah, bringing yes. his vehicle. He seems to be I, like his guy. I, I don't know if I mentioned. Yeah, he he's he's at a he's at a, a like a, a mechanic gig. Like yeah. he, where Richard yeah. Pryor is hanging out for some reason. Yeah, he, Richard <laughs> Pryor's his boss. Not like not like Richard Pryor's playing somebody as his boss. To be yes. clear, not Richard Pryor himself as Pete's <laughs> boss. Um, but yeah, so do you now remember what happens? If you don't, that's fine. I won't. Judge no, I you. don't. Uh, All right. So he takes him for a ride. Right he takes him for a ride. I'm just gonna. Yes. I'm gonna do it because we're we're, okay. we're gonna power through, baby. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. He power. He's uh, taking him for a ride, and you know, is this the tailgating him, scene. This is the tailgating is scene. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Do you do you want to do you want to jump back in? You want to jump back? Well, I don't in? know what details that you are going to include here. The tailgating part, I know. But I don't know if there's other actual things that happen that. Uh, no, I'm just going to talk about the tailgating. Okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, basically, uh, they get into like a, a road rage incident uh, where a vehicle is tailgating uh, Mr. Eddie's vehicle, uh, where to the point where he then speeds up. He tells the guy to pass. The guy gives him the finger, uh, and then Mr. Eddie pulls up and. I mean, close to runs the, like runs the vehicle off the road uh, almost, and then stops and gets out with his like henchman essentially, and proceeds to pistol whip the other driver while uh, schooling him on the rules uh, and you know of the of the road and how you should not be tailing people, how many car lengths you need to have in order to be able to stop uh, and brake uh, successfully. Uh, it's it's a really great uh, scene. I actually I really love this scene. Yeah, scene is so fun. Uh, yes. As somebody with severe road rage, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Mr. Eddie baby. Um, tailgate me well, and find out, motherfuckers. As well, like Sorry? it's not like he's like, you know, he plays like a menacing sort of crime boss figure, uh, seemingly yeah. in the movies. And so you expect like, oh, if somebody fucks with him, he's going to do something to them. But you don't expect that he's going to educate them on the on what they should how they should drive their their vehicle in such a way so it's a it's a lot of fun yeah it's definitely like because like when when he's introduced you're almost like wondering if he's gonna be like a dennis hopper from blue velvet or something to that that effect and he's an entirely different type of of uh dark character for the film uh which which i appreciate you know um uh so at this point um, so Mr. Eddie returns to Pete's garage the following day with his mistress, Alice Wakefield, who startlingly looks like Renee, but blonde. Uh, I don't mean that flippantly. I mean, like, it's literally her, but blonde. But blonde, yeah. Yes. Um, Pete and Alice are smitten and begin an affair under the nose of Mr. Eddie, which seems like a bad idea. Bad idea, Pete. Bad idea, Pete. Um, we haven't really talked about it, but Pete has... Uh, his own partner uh she's not sheila like, sheila she's not like name? a yeah she, uh Gio- giovanni rabisi plays part of his like crew in like one his scene posse. his posse i almost want to say posse posse <laughs> posse posse <laughs> oh man what yeah, a disgusting toby Maguire is there and uh <laughs> kevin o'connell they're all hanging up what a who would have thought that Toby Maguire was in a posse dubbed the Pussy Posse. Not me. Uh, Mr. Eddie is going to drop by with his vehicle 
again and this is kind of like the the introduction of the character and something kind of important happens i believe it's here uh i didn't take like great notes for for this movie so if anything is out of order i apologize don't hate me ignore it and live your life but he offers uh pete a a vhs tape of porn which is incredibly important i think for the movie did you do you remember this I remember this, yes. Okay, cool. I, I just think that we, we got to mention it. I think it's it's a crucial little factoid from the movie. Um, because soon we're going to learn that um, basically Pete and Alice uh, decide to go have dinner. And uh, she reveals that Mr. Eddie is an amateur pornographer under the alias of Dick Laurent. Or Dick Laurent is dead. Uh, and it's best the to leave town, uh, but to get the funds together, they should first rob Andy's place, who, as we will remember, is the party Fred had found himself at. Um, I'm, I'm going over a lot. They've they've you know copulated. There's a lot that's going on between the two, but here's the major story building blocks. Um, however, suspicions begin to brew from. For Mr. Eddie, culminating in a call where he passes the phone, he's calling Pete, obviously, and he's calling to intimidate him, asking him if everything's all right, uh, you know, incessantly asking that over and over and over again, then passes the phone over to our mystery man, the very pale-faced man from the party Fred had found himself <laughs> at, played by Robert Blake, the uh, once upon a time in Hollywood dedicated Robert Blake. That's right. Um, who offers him a chilling insight regarding executions in the Far East where he says that people who are apprehended and, uh, you know, given uh, a death sentence are brought to a place that they can't escape and uh, one day somebody will show up behind them with a gun and shoot them and they won't even know it. And, you know, it it, it kind of sounds like something Robert Blake actually probably said to his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, just improv that line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I. By the way, that is not a written down joke. I want to say so. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> like that. That was off the cuff. Off the cuff, baby. Um, I'm terrible at telling jokes, so uh, just try my best here. Um, Pete knows it's basically high time. This is the confirmation that he needs to follow through with um, Alice's plan to leave town. Um, so they, he decides to go to Andy's place, uh, to commence with the robbing and then the skipping of town. Uh, sadly, things do not go to plan when, uh, Andy surprises Pete and after a tussle, Andy is sent into the corner of his glass table, killing him weirdly. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely a bizarre, uh, death. Uh, good looking effects though. Yeah, I it's a I honestly it's a pretty achievable effect because you just cut out the the glass yeah. the, the 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 inlet for the head to sit, put blood around it and you're good to go. Yeah, it looks okay. awesome. Yeah. Uh good acting. Uh I really liked like is a weird word for this movie for any character. Uh <laughs> but I really enjoyed the Eddie character, so it was kind of sad to see him go a little bit, but uh alas, that's where we're at. Uh, so it's here that Pete discovers uh, an image of Alice and Renee together. And, you know, they're obviously the same person, but, you know, Renee has, oh, I haven't said Renee is a brunette. And that's the, the, the major difference between her and Alice. Right. And this is pretty important because when the police later come to the scene 
to look at, uh, you know, look over everything and analyze and determine what caused everything. Uh, they, they look at the very same photo, but Alice is missing. So it's just Renee with Dick Laurent and I believe Andy's in the photo as well. Uh, so uh, for our next scene, we have uh, Pete and Alice who are skipping town and they arrive at their safe house, which is the beach house that has haunted kind of Fred's dreams. Uh, his visions, uh, Pete and Alice have sex on the beach. They're illuminate, illuminated by the uh, their vehicle's headlights. Uh, the scene climaxes when Alice tells Pete, you'll never have me. Uh, she then saunters off into the cabin as Pete falls into discomfort. And who rises from beyond the car? It's Fred. Bill uh, Pullman. Bill Pullman. It's the president of the United States or world. <laughs> Casper's um, dad, <laughs> or Christina Ricci's dad in Casper. Oh, Devin Sawa, this <laughs> Casper. <laughs> oh man, uh, that really just wrecked my brain. But here we are. Uh, Fred stumbles up to the cabin where he finds it empty, save for a couch wrapped in plastic, and Robert Blake as the mystery man. Who grips a camcorder and informs Fred that there is no Alice, only Renee. Frightened, Fred. Man, I, I. This is a day of me just like reading horribly. That's okay. So I'm just, we'll forgive you. Forgive. Just, uh, just send me to a Far East <laughs> execution camp. Um. Anyways, frightened Fred flees and arrives at the Lost Highway Motel. Uh, I love motels. What are your thoughts, Mitch? I love motels in movies. I do not love to stay at motels. Mm, nuanced thoughts. <laughs> That's, this has been Motel Corner. <laughs> I seem to write a lot of motels into things. Because I think they're like a place where shady people can hang out because they don't cost anything. Sometimes they just take cash and not ask for information, you know, hourly rates, this type of stuff. And I feel like I lean towards, you know, crime and criminals in the criminal underworld. So I'm like, oh yeah, you the hold up at a, a hotel or sorry, a motel rather than like a fancy place. But me personally, I am not involved in criminal activities uh, and I can afford to stay in a hotel. I have once, uh, so I got a work email. I was just looking at it very quickly, which is a, a bad idea. But uh, I, I once, this is a long time ago. This is before I was even with my current partner. But I was like at, uh, I was going to stay in Montreal and was, we were looking for a hotel. And uh, the person came outside and, sorry, they were already outside. And we came up and we we're like, hey, uh, do you have any like rooms available? And he's like, yeah. And uh, not a lot of prostitutes was his selling feature. That's what he just straight up said. See, you gotta like, disclose that stuff to people and be like, "Hey, this we're not one of those prostitute motels." <laughs> I, by the way, I nothing against sex work. I don't really live your life. Uh, I love motels, and I caveat a little asterisk asterisk here. I love themed hotel or motels. Like, give me your like tiki I've motels. I've never been to a themed motel, but. I'd be curious. I think that the conception that I have and that a lot of people have of motels is that they're gross. Uh, <laughs> that, that's and, all hotels now. Or right. Um, but I think that the reason why they're effective for like uh, movies and stuff or why I like to write them is because in a hotel, someone has to like figure out 
where you are in the hotel. There's so many floors. Like you're sort of, you feel like there's protection versus like a motel where it's like the outside world is right there. You know, anybody can come and peer into the window of your room or drive past it or anything like that. So I don't know. I think, I think motels are, are fun for movies uh, and not fun for me to want to stay in. This concludes Motel Corner. <laughs> we'll be back. <laughs> next I hope week. so. Oh man, uh, I think that topic has been milked to death. Sadly, um, speaking of milking uh, in the hotel, Fred, <laughs> Fred discovers Mister Eddie slash Dick Laurent having sex with Renee. Um, really, at the grossest transition that I could have possibly <laughs> conceived of. of milking. <laughs> um, Fred waits for. I mean, you do uh, get a lot of Patricia Arquette's breasts in this movie. There's a lot of breasts in this movie, um, but you know that's the price to pay with a sweat-clad Bill Pullman. Uh, yeah, and Robert Loja. Yeah, I have nothing to say about Robert Loja. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, he kidnaps. Uh, sorry, uh, Fred waits for Renee to leave, and then kidnaps Mister Eddie. Uh, and slits his throat, and while uh, Dick's choking on blood, or Mr. Eddie's choking on blood, the mystery man comes out uh, and puts a bullet in his head, ultimately killing him and then disappearing. Uh, The following day, Fred returns home, and bookending the movie, he offers into the intercom, Dick Laurent is dead. The detective arrive at the same moment, and Fred flees, and then we have our screeching tires and police sirens from the opening scene. Uh, Fred drives at breakneck speeds along the desert, police cars closing distance, and he again begins to change into somebody else. And that is Lost Highway. Lost Highway, the end. Do you want my very, very loose... We've been doing this for an hour and 20 minutes, so this is going to be a very abridged version of my thoughts on the movie. Do you want them? Yeah, let's hear it. So uh, we're dealing with the fact that uh, a person's identity or their uh, recollection of events are nebulous, tenuous things that have no real form. And so the movie ultimately has the same thing. There's like very, very little form. And as somebody who's grappling with having murdered his wife due to being a jealous nebbish dude who who couldn't ultimately please the person he was into the most is grappling with how to conceive of having murdered his wife Um, and i think probably the truest representation of his relationship with his wife is obviously fred slash bill bill pullman and renee and then kind of like him thinking of his wife as alice from the perspective of Pete Dayton is kind of like how he sees himself like oh like I'm like the good guy and like I gotta protect her from the you know uh, Mr. Reddy always fucking yeah (laughs) yeah sees himself in in that character who like you said protecting her good guy getting all the sex everybody wants him so he's created this kind of like narrative to explain like like him trying to protect and secure his wife but ultimately, the the mystery man always comes back in and brings reality with him. Like, he's been in this house before. He knows what he's done. 
Like you've invited me. Like he he's he's probably the closest to like the like a like a third eye perspective of his life for himself and is constantly bringing him back to reality. Yeah, well, I think that you pretty much hit on sort of how I was also viewing the film, which I think is the common way to view the film, which is that Bill Pullman is the murderer of his wife and the line about, you know, I like to remember things how I re- like remember them, not how they actually happened. And the second half of the film is you're like him, like you said, sort of grappling or creating this version of himself or of events that sort of is him dealing with the like fact that he killed her. Or like, like you said, be in, end up being like a, the protector and things like that. Uh, I read somebody who commented that the mystery man they viewed as like his conscience, um, which like I could which i think is a good comparison uh and i read just a little bit about david lynch talking about uh psychogenic fugue uh which i'm not sure if you read that as well but essentially that's what he's saying is like a person suffering from like uh, a mental illness or basically where their mind goes to create new identities what is it new friends everything they forget their previous identity so like I mean, he's basically saying that that's exactly the case. Here. And I think that's like a difference from like dissociative fugue. Like I right. think there, there's a difference between those two things. So I'm not, not having not looked it up, I'm not entirely clear, but it sounds like what you're describing is like more of like a conscious, like uncoupling versus like a, uh, like a mental break. Is that correct? Like, like I, you... I guess I'm not, I'm no expert in, uh, in, in either one, but. Yeah, this so, has been I mean, armchair psychiatrist corner. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that I understood generally what was happening here. I sort of eventually figured that out. Um, but it doesn't make it more enjoyable for me, like as a movie watching experience, just because it does feel... I mean, we talked about this a little bit on our best worst of last year, just with with me where things uh, where there are events that are happening where I don't believe them to be reality um, makes it difficult for me to actually care about those events um, because I'm like, is this impacting anything really like not so much and the first sort of 45 minutes of the movie with the bill pullman patricia arquette relationship that sort of culminates in her death um as much as i was still with the movie at that point i wasn't invested um because of the characters are i don't know if hollow is the right word but just like there's so little to them i found like the the dialogue is pretty sparse. We don't get a whole lot of interactions that seem like real, like like real interactions people would have. It's just like the way that she talks and the way that he talks. It just is weird. Like it's it's definitely how a lot of David Lynch conversations go in his movies, uh, or how the actors are playing it, and maybe it's the direction that they've been given. But I just don't find that I get invested in the relationship because I don't believe it as like a real relationship it just feels like stilted and sort of weird to me um and so it's 
it's unnatural uh which is why like i then am not invested in the rest like once it takes that turn and i'm like okay well i guess we're really not doing anything with that sort of storyline like now we're getting uh, uh sort of an imagined reality that bill pullman's character has created uh, which would be more interesting if i actually like cared about bill pullman's character or if i really cared about that relationship or what happened with her death it just becomes sort of like a weird exercise in oh what's this guy imagining about like the what's the reality he's creating now um which like i can see how some people might find interesting but i just have such a hard time really getting into like a, a, not really even relating to the characters, but just feeling like these are real. These are people that I'm interested in following or learning more about. It's just, like I said, it's just, it's the, it's his style that just doesn't, we're just not on the same wavelength. I, I think you said a good thing where you're like, I can understand why somebody likes this because I'm that person. And that's largely what this podcast <laughs> yeah. is about. Like, I don't mind that, like, I don't mind, like, a Nightmare Logic movie or a movie where we're, like, following yeah. somebody's, like, specific interpretation of reality, which is ultimately, like, a fragmented thing that, you know, sometimes can leave a viewer, like, looking for something to, like, some purchase to hold on to with the movie, right. but ultimately there's nothing there and you just slip and fly away and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> As you fly into the wind. Like, I, I get it. And I can completely understand why you don't like it. That's that's absolutely fine. But, like, there's... For me, like, every time I think about it, there's, like, another layer. Like, you know, obviously, like, there's the... I mentioned there's the Mr. Eddie holding up... You want a porn VHS? And he's an amateur pornographer. And he's making porn with, like, the Alice character. It's right. like he's waving his, like, sexuality in front of, like pete's character like even when he's like steeled himself in the best version his perceived best version of himself he's still ultimately kind of just like a little limp dick you know piece of shit (laughs) (laughs) i don't know like he's he's still slighted in some way um but you know like there's a billion different ways to read this movie and i apologize i don't think i was like entirely clear with like my take on the whole movie it's just that like we're an hour and a half in relatively clear i don't think that anybody listening uh (laughs) if they haven't seen the movie they might be confused but uh, if you've seen the movie and you've listened to what you and i had to say i don't think they're going to come away and be like i don't really understand what stefan thought was happening i think that uh, you did i could ramble i could be accused of rambling (laughs) you know that's that's fair um but anyways uh hopefully it's some of it is at least mildly cogent and uh you entertained uh that I don't know if you want to do purgatories for this because like, I mean, for me, I don't think there's like bad, this isn't like a who, who succeeded and who failed in their roles and, or, or maybe like scenes might be valuable, but ultimately actors won't for purgatory well, purposes. I have a hot take. Okay. Okay. We'll do purgatories. Uh, <laughs> if, if you're a neophyte, you're, you, you're, you aren't acclimated to what we do here. We, Mitch gives out awards for best and worst performance and best and worst scenes. The best and worst scenes are probably important for me because that helped me to understand very, very specific things that don't work for you and help inform future picks. So uh, why don't we start with, we usually start with performances. Why don't we start with scenes first? What's your worst scene? So didn't fully prepare to uh, <laughs> to answer this. Uh, worst scene. It's It's tough for me to pick one scene out of this movie that 
doesn't like work for me explicitly because there's like it's just sort of the general vibe of most of the scenes that is sort of off um but uh let's throw it back to the saxophone uh, scene uh <laughs> beginning that i thought was silly that you loved i'm gonna go with it with that scene how dare you <laughs> and that's not even the hot take <sighs> all right so uh favorite scene that like we'll finish scenes first then move to performances yeah. here favorite scene was easily the tailgating road rage uh, incident scene uh that man i was a be lot honest, of fun for me i thought you would hate that really yeah i don't know i thought it was a lot of fun it didn't it took a turn that i did not expect it to take it felt like something that was you know me i like things that are sort of grounded in reality as much as they can be and it felt like this is something that uh feels like it could potentially happen i mean the amount of calls i read that i talked to people about road rage incidents maybe informed uh how much i enjoyed that uh, scene in particular but i just found it to be funny uh good scene that wasn't too it, it didn't have the same vibe as a lot of the other scenes where it's like like i said the sort of stilted performances big gaps and pauses in between dialogue and sort of long takes of people staring at each other or sort of saying not a whole lot um this was my vibe cool man uh i'm curious but we're gonna leave it we'll start with best performance first because i think your hot take is obviously going to be the worst performance My hot take is definitely the worst performance. Um, so best performance for me, the one that stood out that was most enjoyable for me was uh, just like in the scene I mentioned, uh, Robert Loja for uh, Mr. Eddie or Dick Laurent. Um, I just thought he was effectively menacing, but also kind of funny in that one scene. Like, you know, I thought uh, he effectively did his job and just struck me as not that I would say that it felt like they were all in different movies, but definitely the vibe that I got from him was a different vibe than I got from sort of the Bill Pullman, Patricia Arquette uh, interactions and a lot of the other interactions in the film. So he, he felt the most like someone that I actually could understand as a character and feel like they are a real person. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So uh, hot take worst performance my hot take worst performance uh is someone who i'm generally not a huge fan of uh i think that people typically disagree with that but i don't think they're all that talented and it's patricia arquette that is a dark horse opinion i uh i don't know i something about the way that she talks just feels like i don't really believe you and it the biggest thing for me for with her was when i think she won the academy award for boyhood and i remember watching that and being like i don't get it man i don't understand why people think this is good acting this just uh, something about it and it's like i said it's sort of the like stilted sounds weird like it doesn't sound like a real person communicating it sounds like awkward like line readings uh and like she's not horrible in this movie by any means um but i don't love her performance either i don't didn't really love bill pullman either in this i don't think either of them are really knocking it out of the park with their performance um but she was my my worst uh 
performance. That's Lost Highway. It is Lost Highway, yes. Ending on a wild-ass note. Um, I think that we can definitively say now, and I mean, you're welcome to pick more Lynch for future, knowing that I don't care for him. But at this point, it's Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, Wild at Heart, Blue Velvet, all Mitch doesn't like these movies. The only Lynch movie that I've seen that I liked was The Elephant Man. So it's a pretty safe bet that I am not going to enjoy other Lynch properties. And I really don't have any interest in watching any more of them. Again, you can, you pick whatever you want for this show. But like, I won't be watching Eraserhead on my own time. Uh, Twin Peaks, as much as people are like, wow, it's incredible. I just know that I'm like... No, oh, I know it's, it's I'm not no, gonna, come on. I'm not no, gonna no, enjoy no, this no, show. No, 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 no. First season is fucking good. Straight up. It's 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 wonderful. You even you'd like that, I think. I I don't believe you. <laughs> I, I believe that you think that, but I just feel like knowing Lynch and my relationship with him, I just I don't see it going I th- well. I think you can rest easy because the only other option is Inland Empire, and I don't even like that movie to be honest. Um so I, I'm going to say that this is the the final Lynch for this podcast, probably, because like I love Blue Velvet, but like ultimately you've seen it already. Right. Not, not super fun to talk about. Um, I love Dennis Hopper's performance in that. But ultimately, ultimately, if I want like a weird, menacing, you know, Hopper, you know, I already mentioned my Amer- or the American friend, just do that. He's a very menacing person in that movie. Or Waterworld. Or Waterworld. <laughs> the <laughs> Super Mario Brothers movie. I mean, there's a lot of options here. All right. I think we're done here. We'll be back for a Lil Hell, maybe. Or sure. we'll just do another episode. I don't fucking care. We'll do whatever we want. You know? Don't even worry about it, listener. Just accept what you get. Listener singular. <laughs> <laughs> oh man alright well we're done Uh, for now let's just say goodbye bye bye